Today we return to our study in the book of Ephesians. Now we have been looking at exclusively verses 10, and we touch today on verse 17. And basically, what are we looking at? How do you fight a spiritual battle? In verses 10, we see that the admonition is given to be strong in the Lord. In verse 12, we see who we are fighting. And in 14 to 17, which we have been covering, are specific pieces of armor. So let's read the entirety. Chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. And then we'll just be touching on a portion of verse 17 today. Hear the word of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Portrayed in our text is the Roman soldier. And we see protection. We see the armor that the Roman soldier would wear. We see a belt. We see a breastplate. We see footwear, a shield. But today we see a helmet. Now certainly a helmet is a very important piece of protection for any soldier as that head is a very vulnerable area. And the helmet that the Roman soldier wore was designed specifically for hand-to-hand combat at that time. Now, a Roman soldier, if their head was struck, they would be vulnerable, and this could be extremely debilitating to their fight, to their army, and to themselves. Though these soldiers had many battles with many different enemies, the armor that they wore was indispensable. Now, it's interesting when we see the helmet as well. It's primarily for protection, but a Roman soldier was known for the helmet for three things as well. Their identity, their rank, and their achievements. Now, for you, the Christian soldier, like it or not, you find yourself in a little bit of a different battle. Very different, may I say. And you have a helmet as well, which we will look at today. And that is the helmet the helmet of salvation. And that as well enables us to protect our heads, a very vulnerable area for us as well. And particularly, we'll look at the mind. Because you see, you have a lot of enemies too. You wrestle not against flesh and blood enemies, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this age. You fight Satan. You fight his cohorts. You fight angelic beings in a heavenly realm. Now, the helmet is designed to protect us, and it must be put on on a daily basis. Now, you already have been given the helmet. 
if you are in Christ, praise God, the helmet of salvation. But it needs to be appropriated. It needs to be applied. And one of the things we see currently right now in this battle for the Christian is something called social conditioning. Social conditioning. And what has this have to do with the prince and power of the air? Quite a bit, I think, as we will see. Now, what social conditioning is, the process by which people of a certain society are now trained to think, believe, to feel a certain way, to want certain things, to react in a certain way that is approved by society and or the powers thereof. There's something going on that's causing us many to conform to quote-unquote new norms. And the new norms are diametrically opposed to God's ways and whom the soldier is accountable to. And these new norms are being conformed in the area of peer pressure among the youth, many of our schools and even in colleges. And we see a lot of the talking heads, the media and the political con men pushing this social conditioning. Political, social agendas. Ultimately, they are attempting to influence the way people think. And I believe this is satanic at its core. And we see the sociological aspect. We'll touch on that. But there's also something else with this anti-God agenda. You see, the Christian is being attacked in his mind. And also there's be an attack, a fiery dart of fear coming upon in this society. Fiery dart of doubt and despondency. But Christian, that's not for you. That's not for you because you have this helmet of salvation. And we will see about our assurance of salvation as well. But Christian, what are you thinking in these past week? You know, we do that diagram with the circle. Put in your mind the predominant thoughts. I've told you that before. You see, what you think will correspond with what you believe. And what you believe consequently has a ripple effect as to how you live. What is motivating your thinking? Are you being influenced by this conditioning that's happening? Are you being conformed to this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of your mind? And it's very, very prevalent. It's very predominant. I have a little meme here I saw this week. I got a kick out of it. It's from a very famous anchor person in the media. You'd know him if you saw him. And it says this, a new study shows we can get you to believe anything as long as we say a new study shows. <laughs> Folks, there's really nothing new under the sun. And Christian, you have to understand that as well. You see, there's a lot of manipulation going on from the father of lies. And we spoke about that in past messages. So one of the things that we are being assailed with near is a deception. And he is a deceiver. We know in Revelation 12 that he is a deceiver. That is what he is known for, Satan and his cohorts. But nevertheless, have, be not a person that says, ah, I can see right through that. You are susceptible if you do not put on the proper protective equipment. I will tell you that. 
We are being assailed with so many things. And maybe some of you here are saying, God is victorious? God is in control? The answer is yes. Maybe you're having some doubts as to what you see transpiring in society. And maybe you're having some doubts about who you are in Christ and what your ultimate destiny is. You see, the highs and the lows of what's happening now do not affect, nor should they affect, your eternal security and the way you see life on this side of eternity. Because you have a hope. This is the hope of the cross. Ever-present, living hope for the Christian. Folks, no one else has this hope. Only you have it. Spoke a little bit about the last message about the doubt. How to mitigate doubt with hope. But you must appropriate your hope. You must appropriate the armor of God and put it on every day. Now we look at this fifth piece, the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation ought to protect our minds from things anti-God, anti-salvation, and the helmet of salvation ought to give us an assurance. An assurance, and we will look at that today. It produces a mindset. It's a way of thinking as well. Now, Paul has in mind two things, I believe, while writing this. At least we see two things now prior to the time of writing. I am not sure. But I know one thing. He's got Isaiah, the opening passage we opened up with. Isaiah 59, 16 to 19 in mind, as well as 1 Thessalonians 5.8, where he writes, putting on the breastplate of faith, and love as a helmet to the hope of salvation. You see, this helmet of salvation is protection. But what it offers to you is hope. It's a constant, ever-present hope. It's not simply protection, but it's the hope. And hope is one of your best defenses. Now, the picture of this helmet definitely goes back to Isaiah's description. Like the breastplate of righteousness, this piece of armor is borrowed directly from the divine warrior that was Christ in that passage. Now, he is the Christ, the Messiah, who he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a mantle. This mighty warrior in the passage, it's foreseen that he would deliver a people for salvation. He would ransom them from the grips of evil, the grips of death, and nothing would stop him. And again, that baby in a manger is your avenger. He's your warrior. He's your conquering king. He is Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is victorious. Praise God. Now let's look at the, what he has done for you. What has he done for you? I often use that phrase, he gave me a get out of hell ticket. He did so much more. He gave you eternal life that starts here. Now why should we have this assurance? We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness against the accusations and certainly this helmet of salvation today and forever always on this side of eternity. But one of the things I would say to you is why you can go through this world with hope is because I would say that if you are in Christ, you have a definite atonement that was done for you at Calvary. 
I believe that. A definite atonement that was done for you at Calvary. If it was up to you to put on the helmet of salvation and fight your own battles, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have so much hope. But because of what the mighty warrior did. For example, what is salvation? Well, it's nothing that you did. That's why I, it's something I did. That's why I have hope. That may sound like contrite and like silly, but God did this for you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. We have no boasting. Our only hope, our only boast is in the hope of the cross. Now, we have to understand something. We saw early on in the book of Ephesians, I'll take you back to chapter 1. We see the doctrine of election. Like it, I don't like it, I disagree, I don't. You see the doctrine of election. And what we see there is this. The Trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit has saved you if you are in Christ. The Father's election in chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. We see the Son's redemption in chapter 7. In chapter 1, verses 7 to 12, we see the Holy Spirit's sealing. The sealing of the Spirit, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted, meaning Christ. In Him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We are not hoping to be saved. Yes, we have a blessed hope. When he comes again, we will be saved. We have been saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. Praise, praise God. Now put on this salvation daily, which is your helmet. Live in this salvation Understand the hope you have is based on what Christ, what the Father, Son, the Spirit did, and Christ's victory at Calvary. We spoke quite a bit about victory. If you have any questions, you can listen to some of the, uh, the other messages in this series. But one, one thing I'm going to say, we see victory over Satan and these principalities, but yet we still fight them, the already not yet, which we touched upon in Colossians 2, 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, and he delivered his people from a sin debt. This, the debt is paid. You are standing in the salvation wrought for you by the eternal God. Now, if you don't have hope for that, we'll talk after the service, because you have to understand what this means. The very present truth that is not yet fully consummated. He has defeated these principalities and powers who are doing Satan's bidding. Well, Satan is still on the loose, we see. Now, we read on and we see throughout the New Testament, 1 John 3, 8. One of the, mission, the missions that Christ had, one when Christ was given the mission before the foundation of the world, when he came and he humbled himself, we sung of God made low was to ransom a people for himself. But also, 1 John 3, 8, was to destroy the works of the devil. Now that word, the Greek word for destroy, may be translated undo or dissolve. There's coming a day 
when all of this is over, this evil. And we also see in Hebrews 2.14 that through death, this is Christ's death, he may destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. You see, you hold on to his salvation. You hold on to the joy. You hold on to Jesus Christ when a whole world is mocking you. When this whole social conditioning will scoff at such truth. But they will have to give an account on a day of reckoning. We see in Matthew 28, 18, you've got to reconcile this. If you're living in fear right now and not putting on the hope of your salvation, you've got to understand Jesus' words. When he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Not all authority on Tuesday. Not all authority last week. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he is coming to reconcile all things on heaven and earth. He will come back again and fulfill the plan. The recreation of this earth and the recreation of the people of God in glorified bodies. So he's victorious. But then why is it we read in 1 Peter 5.8 that the devil, who's not omnipresent, by the way, the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And these are people under duress in Peter's day. And the text goes on to say, thereby resist him, firm in the faith. Although the devil is defeated, he's very much active. And limited, though, but under the jurisdiction of God. You've got to understand, he's not this banshee running around all over the place. And he does not have full reign. He is under the sovereign hand of Almighty God who created this angelic being, by the way. Now, we are free from the dominion of sin. We are free from eternal death. And we are free here from Satan's grip. And since Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil, why are we still battling these enemies? We're still going to die physically. You're still going to sin. And satanic and evil influence will be all around you. Why is that? Well, Sinclair Ferguson, very good theologian, has some interesting insight. I would ask that you would, we will entertain this insight. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. I agree with him, and I think it's very good. Ferguson says, quote, Christ has defeated Satan, and yet Satan still troubles us. Why does God allow this? He allows this because he wants to see us progress in grace, because he is our father. So you might think about it this way. The father who removes all challenges from his children, or to put it another way, the father who has a fabulous amount of money and says, this is your inheritance, and I'm going to give it to you now, would not be a wise father. He wants to see his children grow, and that is what the heavenly father wants to do. We just touched on that in Sunday school a little bit. So we victorious, amen, but yet we fight. And that has been a theme that we have looked at throughout. We do not fight for victory, but we fight from victory, praise God. So one of the things we must do on a daily basis is to put on the helmet of salvation. Okay, now what are we protecting primarily 
from the helmet of salvation. Well, the belt of truth was against Satan lies. The breastplate of righteousness was against accusations. But this here helmet is for the Christian's mind. It's for the Christian's mind. Christian, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know. The mind maybe already is or can be the biggest battlefield we deal with. There's a lot of warfare that can take place in our minds. We have to protect our mind with this helmet of salvation. We have to put on the salvation like a helmet daily. Now, when you're the helmet of salvation, the word of God, when you are in this hope, it's so hard, it's harder for, the, for Satan to influence you. It's harder for evil to influence you when you have the helmet of salvation controlling you. When the armor of God is present and the spirit of God. You see, the enemy attacks and usually he knows where he can get you. He knows what thoughts, although he's not omniscient or omnipresent, in some capacity, he has this ability to know what ticks you, to know what will get you going. And he knows how to influence you. And it's the way you live. And it's the helmet of salvation that really can tear down all this social conditioning and all this pagan ideology and all this Marxism and nonsense that's coming against people in general and certainly this anti-God agenda. Because when you put on the helmet of salvation, you can destroy arguments and all these lofty things that raise, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And when you put on the helmet of salvation, you're protecting a mind, your mind and thereby taking every thought captive. You see, we need to renew our minds in the word of God. And we need to renew our minds with who we are in God, what he's done for us, what this salvation is. We need to renew our minds with the hope of the helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul calls the piece of armor the hope of salvation, the helmet of hope. Now, the Christian helmet is certainly something as a hope, and that is, hope is an antidote for any sort of doubt. You see, when you have doubt, Christian, over a period of time, that can lead into doubt, fear, then comes despondency. And then you're the soldier who's not fighting as they ought. Now you're the soldier who's not fighting from victory. You're just fighting for self-defense in many respects. But regarding hope, I like what Matthew Henry had to say. Regarding the hope of the helmet of salvation, he says this. Salvation must be our helmet. That is hope. Which has salvation for its object? The helmet secures the head. A good hope of salvation, well-founded, well-built, will both purify the soul and keep it from being defiled by Satan. And it will comfort the soul and keep it from being troubled and tormented by Satan as well. Very much what we're dealing with. The mental affliction here that can come and the doubt of the assurance of who we are. Satan, he goes on to write, would tempt us to despair. But good hope keeps us trusting in God and rejoicing in Him. And therefore, believing in God's Word and putting on this helmet is something that we must do. It's renewing the promises of God. Now, the best protection against Satan is understanding that 
No, Satan, not even yourself, can separate you from the love of God. Not Satan, not anyone else can bring a charge against God's elect, for it is Christ who has justified you. These things need to be in your mind. Now, when we talk about hope, what are we defining hope in? Because a lot of people have hope. Christmas time is a season of hope for many. For many, unfortunately, it's a false hope. The Christian has a true, pure hope. Let's define hope. Trust in, to wait for, to desire something. That you're desiring something beneficial for the future, and it's a belief that is rooted and anchored in God. Again, my hope comes because Christ is the one who is victorious. It's anchored in God, in his faithfulness, in his deliverance, in his word. There is victory in Jesus. And just a word. If Christ is not your hope, you're dealing with a false hope if you have hope today. If your treasures here are on earth, and that's it, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be in despair for eternity. Come to Christ today, which is the hope of any man or woman in this world. Christ is our all in all. There's no alternative. There's no B plan, for there is salvation in no other. There is no other name given among men by which they may be saved, but it's Christ the way, the truth, and the life. If that's you today, please see me after service. Now, hope is your defense against Satan's attacks. When he brings on the doubt, when he brings the despair, you know how he attacks you. Now, there's no temptation overtaking you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide a way of escape. But nevertheless, he will tempt us all in some capacity, but they may be individually nuanced with his minions for you. So how do you live and apply this hope of salvation? How do you put on the helmet of salvation, which is the hope? Well, you must have an eternal perspective. You must have an eternal perspective in the here and now on earth. For example, believers under duress. Read to you 1 Peter 5, 8. Paul opens the letter for believers being afflicted in a sociological environment that was against Christ and his people. In 1 Peter 3, 5, he writes this. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now here's why you could have hope. Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. You're kept by the power of God. Definite atonement. And the perseverance of the saints. Through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Romans 8, 24, 25. How do we put on this helmet of hope, if you will? For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen. For why does it one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We're waiting in perseverance because Christ is giving us a perseverance. 
And also 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, this is the faith that we have. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation for your souls. You're going to be saved. It works out well for you. There may be afflictions. There may be many tribulations. When you read the book of 1 Peter, you read the book of Rome, uh, book of Revelation. But we understand that is the triumph of the ever-living Christ. Now, what do we see? We see a changing time. We see social landscapes changing. We see how it was different when you were in school. Now you're sending your children to school. We see so many things. And periods where we would maybe be despondent. And maybe fluctuate up and down. But understand your salvation. You shall not be greatly moved. Positionally, understanding your salvation, you have the hope of the cross. And understanding your salvation, the one who began this work will see it to completion. Why? Because it was founded by God, not by you, not by anyone else. God will and has sustained us. So wear your salvation like a helmet. Consider what the psalmist said. To put on this helmet of salvation, you need to be a trust. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Understand the love? You understand the love that Christ? You understand the love aspect involved in your salvation? But God demonstrated his own love for us and while we were yet still sinners? You understand you brought nothing to the cross, nothing to the table except your sin? Psalm 35, 9. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. You got salvation, you're going to be okay. Okay. Now let's look at Satan wanting to bring fiery darts in one particular place. Maybe it speaks of you, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not the affliction of your mind. Maybe it's what I would say, the uncertainty of your heart, perhaps. And that is the assurance of salvation. Now the devil could plague you with your eternal standing. Oh, you're going to go back to that church again? You believe what those people believe? You're reading your Bible? Look what's going on. God's got nothing for you. Listen, I think most of you are beyond that. But you have to understand eternal security. It comes with the salvation package. It's not inseparable. For example, Romans 8.30 speaks of Christ's work in such a certainty that Paul says in the past tense that whom he justified, he glorified. If you've been saved, you will be saved. I want you to get that. We saw, as Vito taught this morning, one of the scriptures, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Said that already. Do you understand that? Nothing can separate you. Let me tell you something, folks. You can make shipwreck of your faith. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who wills and does for his good pleasure. But do understand that you're secure God has you. Now, John 5, 24, I want you to read the words of the one who gave you this salvation. Okay? The one who came gave his life a ransom for many. Listen to what he says. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life 
and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Putting on the helmet of hope is a blessed assurance. John 6, 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I have hope. I have security. You know why? Because God did this. Do you think the Father, Son, and eternity past were not competent enough to get this done? This got done. This continues. This is God who did this, folks. John 17, 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. The Father elects a people we saw in Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. The Son redeems a people, 7 to 12. And the Holy Spirit seals a people. Do you believe this is true? Do you believe these truths? But you know, I looked at, I, I skipped something about how much access Satan has to our minds. How much access does he actually have? It's a conversation we had with a couple of brothers yesterday. Let's just think about it. You will be saved, but can you be influenced by him? Yes. We looked last week at Ananias and Sapphira. Now, some would say, well, they weren't saved. They were Christians. Good possibility they were Christians. And what happened? Satan filled their heart. Satan had access to their inner being. Now, you see Judas, Satan filled his heart as well. But you say, okay, he wasn't a Christian. But what about the Christians? What about the Christians at Corinth? What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 11.3? I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray by sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Folks, don't let him lead you astray. You will be saved, but don't let him lead you astray with any doubt, with any despondency. You see, what we see here, this doom and gloom, this fear, it sells. It's good for business. So is sin. Sin sells as well. Don't be led astray, folks. Now, the best defense we have is the hope of our salvation. And just as the world, Christians, goes through an identity crisis, as I told you in the past, I'm going to repeat it, you're not part of this identity crisis. It's got nothing to do with you. You know who you serve, you know who you belong to, and that is a settled matter. Know who you are in Christ and embrace your identity by putting on the full armor of God every day. Know who you are in Christ and embrace your identity by putting on the helmet of salvation. Now, just as I told you, the helmet offered protection to that Roman soldier and the helmet offers protection to the Christian soldier. But the helmet also is an identifying mark. You see, the helmet is a symbol of identity, rank, and achievement. Now, as for me, when I wear this helmet, in my own strength, I did nothing. I have no identity. I have no rank. I have no achievement. But consider what Paul writes early on in Ephesians. 
Who is these, the letter written to these people? And therefore, consequently, us here. Who are you now in Christ? You put on the helmet of salvation in Christ. Who are you? Well, in Christ you are children of God by adoption. That's who you are. He adopted you. Formerly strangers to the covenants and promises of God without hope. You could not achieve anything on your own but wrath. You were by nature not children of God, but children of wrath. And if you have come into this sanctuary today, and you have some form of religion, and you have some form of morality or ethics, but you do not experience the new birth, you are by nature a children of wrath, child of wrath. It doesn't have to be that way. Now, we see that we are saved by grace in Christ and also seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That's our status. Our Savior who gave us the helmet of salvation is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, sovereign over all and does all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1, 11. And he's given eternal life to his people and no one could snatch them out of their hands. I just want to quote First Peter again because I love it. 2, 9. Who are you? A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. God's own special people. You are God's special people. In and of ourselves, apart from the helmet of salvation, we are fools in the world's eyes and fools in general. But the, God used the, pre, the foolishness of preaching to bring us to himself. Okay. Wear your salvation like a helmet. Take it up for protection and strength in the battle. Now, we will look at the latter part of verse 17 next week, but in closing... I say this to you. You know, some of you know, particularly those who are intercessors here, you know this spiritual battle. You know how strenuous it can be. Those who go out and do evangelism, you know, you serve the Lord in any capacity, or even if you're just in Christ, in any civilization, at any time, you know that this battle can be difficult. But I want to suggest something to you today as to how you are going to fight this battle when you put on the hope of salvation. When you put on this helmet of salvation, understand the promises you have. And may the helmet comfort you. Instead of being strenuous and so much on the offense of fighting, the helmet of salvation should comfort us in the midst of a storm, should comfort us when we're being attacked, and should empower us and give us strength. When you're putting on what Christ did for you, the divine warrior who wrought your salvation, may the helmet comfort you. May the hope of the helmet comfort you. May you not be despondent at what you see, but may you look up, for you know that your redemption draws near. May you embrace the reality that when he comes for you, it is going to be the consummation of what we call, what is called in Titus 2, the blessed hope. But I close with this. Psalm 116. You've been given this salvation. Now for some of you here, you say, oh, praise God, you know, I want that salvation. I'm going to give God back something. Really, there's nothing you can give except 
What could you render him maybe some thanksgiving? And when we get to communion, there's other things we can give him. But Psalm 116, 12 to 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his people, for all his benefits towards me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. What can we render to him? Thank you. Thank you. What can we render him? Love, obedience, acknowledge his majesty and his greatness. 